Go ahead. Before we jump into scripture, let's let's spend some time in prayer. Father God, we we humble ourselves before your throne, before your mercy and grace. God, we 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 thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to come and gather as a church family under one roof, Father God, in chairs that are comfortable in a room that's comfortable away from the elements, Father God, that that is you who provided for us, Father God. It is you who who has given us this opportunity to be here and to sit under the preaching of your word, Father God. So, So teach us today, Lord. Meet us where we're at. Guide us. May we grow in our understanding of your word. May we grow in our understanding of what it means to be followers of Christ. Be with us today, Lord. Eliminate any distractions that we may have. May we just spend the next several moments listening, hearing your word be preached, Father God. Preach to us. Be with us today, Father. May we grow. Convict us in the areas that we need convicting. Lead us in the areas that we need leading. Bless this time that we have together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying to this people. In your name we pray. Amen. As you see, we're, we're going to be continuing in our series of, of 1 Timothy, and we're, and we're still going to be in the fifth chapter, and we're just kind of making our way. We're going to be in verses 3 through 16, and we're just going to be talking about, as you see, from if you look at your outline, I've titled the sermon, Honoring Those in Need. And in this context, specifically, what, what Paul's talking about is honoring, honoring widows. And so we're going to just make our way through this, and as we have been, as we've talked about all the different things, we talked about what it means to identify and, and confront false teaching. We've gone through, through Timothy, and we talked about what it means, the qualifications that, that we have here for leaders of the church, for, for, for the elders and for the deacons. We talked about what it means to, to have a gospel-shaped life. Last week, we talked about what it means to, to just be in community with one another, to hold one another accountable, confront sin when, when needed. And as you see this week, we're going to be talking about honoring widows and honoring, honoring the needy, what it means to honor those. If I, if, I was to say, if I was to summarize what I'm trying to talk about today in one sentence, it's, it's that the church, that we are called to be responsible and help those who are truly in need. And in doing so, we are to point people, lead people to live lives of godliness, live lives that are honoring to God. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week is what, what does it mean for us to honor widows, right? And he says that right in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. And so the question is, what, what does Paul mean by honor here? Is it simply just have a sense of respect for those who are widows to simply have a good speech towards them, interact with them in a certain way that's honoring, that's respectful, I believe if you look at the context of, of what Paul's talking about here in chapter 5, that, that the word honor here is more than merely just showing a respect. It's more than just holding the door for those who, who are in need, for those who are widows or, or for, for the elderly. It's, it's to, to, to give them dignity. The implication here that, that Paul has when he uses the word honor, it's, it's a call to action. It's more than just hold them in high revere. You know, it's a very material aspect here going on. It's the same, it's that same word that we see in verse 17 where he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. It's this idea that that we are called to provide and support widows. 
when, when, when they are truly alone, when they have no one, the church is called to be there. And we see this all throughout scripture, that, that we are to help the needy, help those who are in need. It's a call of the church that we are to be active in, in, in our pursuit of, of honoring those who are in need. See, it's that same, you see the same mindset in, through, in four years, like make them return to their home so that they can be provided for. Verse 8, he says, provide. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, again, he says in verse 16 that they, they should care for widows. This idea that, that word by honor is just more than just having a respect for them. It's, it's giving them dignity. It's supporting them in their time of need. It's making sure that, that those in our church, in our midst, are, who are in need, are being taken care of. And, and specifically in this context, he's talking about widows, but it's really just the needy. And we see all throughout scripture that, we are, that, that, that the people of God are to provide for the, for the orphans, or provide for the widows, or to provide for those who are in need. It's a calling that we have. It's this idea that this is biblically rooted. This idea of, of providing for those who are in need, it's rooted in scripture. So you see this in Leviticus 19, 9-10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. He's instructing them here that they are to, to make sure that they leave enough out for those who are in need, for the poor, for the needy of their community. That they were to provide for them in that context. If you look at Acts 6, and, and if, if, as some has interpreted, that's the first installation of, of deacons that we have in the scriptures. And the reason why, why, why there needed to be installed is some people in the church to, to keep an eye over those who, or over the widows who have been neglected. So, so if you read that as the first installation of deacons, because there was a need, there was a need there, and widows were being neglected, and so the apostles thought it fit. To, to, to have people come who are, that's their aim, that's their focus, is to focus on those who are in need. James 1, 27 says, A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneness, unsta- to keep oneself unstained from the world. That we, are to, we are to help those in need, that we are to be the hands of feet of Christ. And that's really my first point here. That the church should be the hands and feet of Christ. That to show honor is to provide for them. It's to to make the love of Christ more tangible than just simply saying it and speaking it. See, Paul here, by by calling the church to honor widows, he's calling them to take action. It's more than just words. It's simple. There comes a time when, when simply saying, I will pray for you, it is not enough. That, that, that our words have to, be, have to come into action. That we have to start living out the words that we say. That we're called to do more. We, we should be seeking to do more than just praying for people. We should be seeking to meet the needs of those who are in need. It's not that we don't pray. I'm not saying that prayer is not important. Prayer is essential to the Christian life. It's essential to the life of the church. But there comes a time where we need to be more about our actions than about our words. And if we're honest with ourselves... Especially in our Christian culture, we, we use that as a cop-out, right? When someone comes to us and they're in need or they're suffering, and we like to just say, oh, I'll pray for you. And we like to use it as a cop-out. 
And, and I'm guilty of that at times. When, when I'm in a hurry or when I don't want to hear what's going on, I just, I'll pray for you. And oftentimes, the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, we've done that same thing throughout our, our Christian walk. And we won't, right? We won't go back and we won't pray for them. We'll forget. See, if, if you have, if you're able to, if you're stewarding your finances right, if, if, you're, if you're stewarding your time right, when the time comes to serve others, to meet their needs, you should be doing that. It's this idea of if, if you have a doctor who's, who's come to the scene of an accident on the side of the road, and he's out and he's in his scrubs, and you can just tell he's a doctor, and he comes up to someone, they're on the road and they're hurting, and he has the ability, he has the capability to save their life. He can provide for them at that moment. Instead, the doctor just says, hey, I'm praying for you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, right? It's this idea like, like that, that's inane to us. Like that shouldn't be the case. If, if we're capable of helping those in need, if we're capable of being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ here on earth, then we should be doing those things. If you have the means, if you have the capability, right? We, we, we don't just give out money to give out money. We have to make sure that, first of all, we're responsible with it. We don't just, just waste our time with people who, don't, who aren't are deserving of that. But at the same time, we should be more than just, just simply talking about Jesus. We should, we should get to the point where we're no longer in front of someone just simply preaching to them, but that we come alongside them, that we help them in their time of need, that we meet their physical needs as needed. See, you honor widows in the needy by, by showing them dignity, by, by, by doing more than just offering a listening ear, but meeting those, those needs. It's not letting them be forgotten. It's by giving them food when they need food. It's by giving them water when they need water, by providing for them housing if they need housing, whatever it is that they need. You go about it and you try to honor those. You try to honor them. You try to meet those needs. That's why Paul in Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That, that, that we are to especially be meeting those who, who, who are members of us, those who are in the same church of us, those who have the same faith of us, that we should be seeking, our, we should be honoring them. See, Paul here is emphasizing that the widows, right, that widows should be brought under special care of the church. But, 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 but as long as it is responsible, right, it has to be a responsible act of the church. Because he goes in, in in later scriptures, right, and he gives us um, qualifications or, or who qualifies for, for, for service or, for, or for, for support from the church. Right, so, so he's also calling the church to, to discern that, that before you just give to a sad sob story, that, that you take some time, you pray, that you use discernment. He says, you know, those who are truly widows, right? See, it's not the, we have to also realize that it's not the responsibility of the church to serve or support everyone. That we are to use the sermon, that we are to be smart, that we are to be wise in how we go about supporting people, how we choose to, to use the funds of the church, which takes me to my second point, that the church should steward their resources appropriately and honorably. 
That, that they are to hold that. The churches should be held accountable. That the congregation should hold those leaders, the elders or the deacons, who, who choose how to dole out certain finances, how to meet certain needs accountable. That, that it shouldn't be a burden to the church. And we'll get to that in verse 16. He says it may not be a burden to the church. So he, he makes this distinction of those who are truly widows. See, by, by, by making that, that distinction, who are truly widows, Paul's simply saying that the, that the church should not provide for every widow that comes in their doors. Right? And he gives two big indicators, two big, big, big um, qualifications on who should qualify for this type of support from the church. You know, in verse 4, we see a, a true widow is left alone. She has no family. All right. The second one is, is, is someone who a true widow has shows and has godliness. They have the evidence in their life that, they, that they've been in the church and that church knows that they've lived a life that is honoring to God. She turns to verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. This idea that, that she's left all alone, that, 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 that she, her husband has died, she has no one, her, the, the, there's the absence of a supporting family, her children aren't there to support her. For whatever reason, where, where they, they just don't want to, they're not honoring God, or, or maybe they just don't have the capability to support their, their widow mother. But whatever the case is, she's alone, she has no family to give her support. And so that's who, who the church should be seeking to support those are the people who, people who are alone, who are destitute, who don't have, who doesn't have anyone. Those are the people the church should be looking to support. One commentary put it this way, but the church is not to expend its limited resources on every woman who has lost her husband. Rather, the Christian community is to help only those who are both alone and destitute, having no family members such as children or grandchildren upon whom to rely. She is truly alone. A true widow is someone who, who, who is truly alone. Second, in verse 5, he says, her hope is, her, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That, that, that a true widow has not lost her faith, has not lost her trust in God. That she still believes on, she still stands on, on the promises of God. She has not wavered. You see, you could tell this by, by the fact that she remains in prayers, as it says. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. That, that she's seeking after God. That, that she understands what the scripture says and she believes. And so she, because she believes, because she has a solid faith, she continues to pray. See, her steadfastness, her steadfastness in prayer is what reaffirms her hope in God. See, a person who does not pray is a person who does not have hope in God. A person who chooses to not pray before God, not take the time out to seek their God and ask God of things and thank God for the things that they have, they ultimately do not have hope in God. Prayer is it's essential. The more time we pray, the more time we spend on our knees praying before God, the stronger our faith will get in God. The more we learn to lean on him, the more we learn to lean on his scripture person who does not pray does not have hope they've they've chosen to not trust god and his promises they've chosen not to believe what god says in his word and so they try to make things happen on their own instead of bowing before the lord of the earth before coming before him and thanking him for what they have and asking of things 
So you get to verse 6 where, by contrast, this is, these are the widows who, who, who should not, who don't apply, who don't get support from the church. It says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. You see, one of the important factors, especially for the church, on, on who we should be focusing on, on supporting are those who have a solid faith in God. Right, because by all by by all standards, this widow now that he's talking about in verse six, she is still alone. Doesn't say that she's not alone. She's her husband is still dead. She still probably doesn't have family to support her. But what she doesn't have, she doesn't have the faith in God. She doesn't have the history of of what Paul what Paul's looking for in verse five. So she is she who is self indulgent is dead even while she lives. You know, to be self indulgent is she's living for her own pleasure. This idea of someone who's self-indulgent or who's self-centered. And there's an implication here that she never really cared for the needy when, when she had plenty. When her husband was around, when, when she had the means. She didn't, she didn't go about her means to take care of those who are in need. She's self-indulgent. So what does it say? She is dead even while she lives. If we walk around, if we don't hope on God, if we don't pray to God, we're, we're essentially just corpses walking around. It's our hope in God that make us alive. Bear with me as we we'll come back to verse 7 and 8, but I just want to go down to verse 9. It says, let a widow be enrolled. She's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. This idea of let her be enrolled, or as, as Anis B says, let her put her on the list. Commentators have made note that, that there's this list that the church had of, of, of widows amongst the members, of widows who, who are getting support from the church. And in, in, in return for their support, they, they help the church out. They, they serve the members of the church. They have some type of official task from the church where they go out and they, and they meet the needs of, of other people within the church. And in return for doing those things, they are getting support from the church. And so, so they, it's this list, this, this list of, of widows who, who are, some, some translators have, have believed that this means that there's an official office of type. That, that, that there's a special office for widows within, within the office of deacon, that widows are to be serving one another. And, and I, just, I don't see that in the context here. I simply see that, that there's this list of, of, of people who are an extension of the church out in the community is what's happening here. And that, that this was a serious enough problem that they needed to be enlisted. They needed to find a way to support the widows and, and that they're not just, as we, as we read earlier, they're not just sitting on their hands doing nothing, right? But that everyone gets their wages, so we see that one of the first qualifications for this list is that she is 60 years of age. Why 60? And, and there's a plethora of reasons of, of commentators who, who, who think why, they, they believe why Paul used the age 60. But typically at this time, 60 would have been considered, you know, that, that elderly age. Someone who was 60 is probably someone who couldn't support themselves through manual labor, who couldn't physically work. You see, what Paul is not saying here, this is important, what Paul is not saying is, is that churches to, to refuse support to widow because she is young, right? We don't just say, oh, you know what? Yes, you're lost. You just lost your husband. You don't have any kids, and, and, and you're losing your house, but you're, you're 59 years old. We can't support you. 
It's not what Paul is saying here. This is just simply those who, who are to be an extension of, of the official extension of the church. They are to go about in the community and say, on behalf of the church, this is, I'm here on behalf of the church to, to help you, to serve you in this way. This isn't a, a commentary on, on not helping anyone who's under 60. Paul's just saying that those who, who are under 60 shouldn't be a part of, of this list of official people who, who go out on behalf of the, of the church. Right, one of the main reasons is that someone who is sixty is just is less likely to remarry. Which, as we go further into this text, you will see that that becomes an issue. So he's talking about official servants here, of who should be the some type of official servants from the church. Go on and see more qualifications in verse nine and ten. Having been the wife of one husband. This idea that, 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 that she has marital fidelity, that, that she was honoring God in her marriage. This also paints the picture of someone who, who is free of any sexual immorality. That, that if she's to, if she was the husband of one, if she, she was the husband of one, that, that she wasn't going around, sleeping around, that she held her relationship with God in high esteem, and that she was sexually pure. It goes on in verse 10. And having a reputation of good work, someone who's known for the good work, someone who's known to show godliness out in their life. She does this by how? Especially for members of verse 9, 10. She's brought up children. She has raised children. Someone, someone who, who should be in this position, someone that we should be seeking to, to, to help and be an extension of the church, is someone who, who has raised and cared for her children, someone who, who has taken a time out, who, who nourished her children, right? who, who married, and she honored her family, she honored her husband in marriage, she honored her, her children in motherhood. She has shown responsibility. She has shown hospitality. She, she, she has opened her doors to other believers, to those who are traveling, in some instances to strangers, that, that, that she has a spirit of, of wanting to serve. And so she's opened her doors. She's shown hospitality to other members of the church, to people who are coming out of town. She says she also, she washed the feet of saints. This idea that, that, that she is known to have a humble spirit, a humble servant's heart. It's kind of the picture painting here that she's willing to do what's necessary to serve the church, to serve God. That's a very humbling act to actually wash someone's feet. It says, it goes on. She cared for the afflicted. She assisted the poor in, in trouble. She helped them out. That even before she was in need, she, she had a heart for other people, that she wanted to help those who needed help. She wasn't just worried about her own self, that when things were going good for her, she was still serving others. She didn't look down on other people. She didn't turn her nose to other people. She helped those who were in need and has devoted herself to every good work. She's done all of this. She was diligent in this. She took those responsibilities that God had gave her as a mother. She took those seriously. And she's known for these things. She's known for raising children who, who are still in the Lord. She's known for serving people. She's known because she has a humble heart. She's known for, for doing those things that perhaps other people aren't willing to do. That she's devoted to these things. In verse 11. 
but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to remarry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. And so what we see is that, is that at one point, what Paul's trying to do with this list that, that he's talking about here, he's trying to limit the list a little bit, to not have so many people on there. Because they, they, from what I've read, is just this idea that, that there are so many people on the list, and so, so many of them were younger widows. And that with time, they, they just they couldn't stay widows, and so they chose to remarry. And what happens during this time is, is, is that most likely they remarried someone who was a pagan who wasn't a believer, and so they, in essence, they adopted those beliefs. That's why he says, and they incur on them condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This idea that they've walked away from the faith because, because they chose to remarry, and they chose to remarry someone who wasn't a believer. So they were a part of this agreement. They, they agreed to remain unmarried and to help the church do these duties on, on, on the church's behalf. And over time, they broke their vow to the church in this agreement, and they chose to remarry. And like I said, because they adopted, most likely they adopted their new spouse's religion, and the new spouses would have been non-believers, would have been someone who wasn't in the church. Someone in the church would have known that these younger widows had made this agreement with the church. So it's someone from outside the church coming in, and she's remarrying him. Like happens so often, even today, we, we tend, spouses tend to take the, the, the faith they believe in what their, their spouses believe. So they, they had agreed to do some type of task. We get this from, from verse 13. Besides that, they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying that they should, saying what they should not. Right? They, they, they became idle. They became lazy. They, they weren't completing the task that the church had given to them. They weren't honoring God. They weren't honoring what, what God had called them to and what the church is asking them to do. They, they ended up, as, as young widows, they, they ended up having too much time on their hands. And so, and so when they went to visit people, instead of, of helping them, instead of ministering to them, they're gossiping. They're not helping. They're, they're not ministering. They're not, they're not doing what the church is asking them to do. They, they said they're, they're, they're gossiping. They're busy bodies, right? Always they're curious about everything, always meddling in things that don't pertain to them. You know, it's this idea of, of someone who, who always has to, someone who's gossip, who's a busy body, who always has to tell you things that, that, that don't really matter. Think about my, my grandfather when we, go, when we go to visit him. We always have to get the rundown of everything that's happening. We don't know half the people he's talking about, but he has to tell us everything. And we spend half our visit, him just, just giving us the lowdown. And this is, what, what, this, is this, this idea here, that they're, that they're gossiping, they're busy bodies, they're not really doing what the church has called them to do. They were neglecting their role. And as a result, this is something that happens because we have too much time on our hands. This is true of ourselves. When, when we have too much free time, that's when we tend to get in trouble. It says in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. That, that we should be filling our time with things that, that are honoring to God. 
So the church needs to be wise on how they use their resources, right? That, that, that they, they shouldn't just give to the first person that comes in, but, but they should ask questions. They should see if they meet these requirements here and decide through prayer, through doing their due diligence, whether they could afford to do this, whether this makes sense for them. This is why the church should be encouraging family members to take care of one another. Right? This idea that, that we see in verse 4, but if widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. That the church should be, before we even ask, what do you need? Before we even think about meeting those needs, we should be asking, well, do you have family members? Can you get help? Maybe, maybe we know people in the church who, who are more than willing to help those who are in need. Maybe we point them in that direction. If they need food, maybe we point them to the local food bank. That, that we should be giving others opportunities to show godliness by caring for other members of the church, by caring for their, for their family members. See, the church should be functioning appropriately, that we should be supporting others. But also the members of the church should be supporting one another. We should be supporting our own family. And when, when, when members are taking care of one another, when, when family members are meeting others' needs, this, this frees up the church. It allows the church to really serve those who are, who are truly in need. And this is why Paul instructs, instructs younger widows to remarry, to take that, lift that burden off from the church. This leads me to my last point, that the church should point people to godliness. That, that, that instead of just trying to fill their needs themselves, the church should be seeking to, to help those members of, of, their, of their congregation meet the needs of others, because that's how God intended it to be. That's how we live a life that is honorable to God. When we go about and we seek to do good, when we seek to help those who are in need, those who are sitting next to us or behind us, our own family. That's what he says in verse 4, let them learn to show godliness. Right? It's this idea that church should not only instruct people how to live, but they should give the church opportunities to live that way. It's not just about teaching them, but, but it's about being able to give them the opportunities to live out what you're teaching. We should be about giving people the opportunities to live in godliness, not just tell them about it. So it's this idea that, that when we are, are serving one another, when we take care of our own household, when we take care of our own family, that is pleasing to God, as it says at the end of verse 4. For, the, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Galatians 6, 10 says, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in, who are of the household of faith. As we have the opportunity, right, that we are to be smart, that part of living a, God, a life that, that is godliness is, is stewarding your finances right, it's stewarding your time right. It's making sure that you're taking care of those who God has entrusted with you first and then going out and seeking to, to help those who are in need. But first and foremost, that we need to be taking care of our own. By, by pointing people to live a life of godliness, by living, by living a life that's honoring to God, 
You could you make them you make them above reproach. We see this in verse seven. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Right? That we are to tell the family to, to, to take care of their own. That we are to tell widows to young widows to remarry because we want them to be above reproach. Want them to, to be in the right standing before God. Because those who choose not to provide for their own household, those who choose to not provide for their own relatives, they deny the faith, right? That's what it says in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This idea of providing for those in need, of providing for widows, of providing for our own family, it becomes, essentially, it becomes a gospel issue. That, that by, by refusing to do that, by refusing to meet the needs of the needy, by refusing to take care of our own household, we're not, implement, we're not showing, we're not being the light and salt of what God has called us to be. Our willingness to support those in need, our willingness to support widows, our willingness to support our family members, it becomes a gospel issue. By not providing for one another, we, we, we therefore we do not reflect the gospel of Christ. That, that, that the way that, that God has provided for us a way out, the way that God sent his son and has provided for us the remedy that we need for from death to lead us to him, to give us the cross so that we're no longer dead in our trespasses, the way that God has provided for that, we should be providing for those who are in need. That the part of the gospel is, is living out the teachings of Christ. It's, it's being the hands and feet of Christ here on earth. If you don't realize how much you've been saved from through the gospel of Christ, then you, you really don't know how much you need to be serving other people and, and leading people towards God. We looked at this verse last week, but it's still relevant. John 13, 34-35. The new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you love people by honoring them, by, by meeting their needs, by simply not just listening to the words, but saying, here's water when they need water. Here's food when you need food. By providing for them their needs, you are demonstrating to them the gospel because God provides for us the very remedy that we need to be saved from our sins. You cannot essentially follow Christ while still neglecting the needy, while still neglecting widows, while still neglecting orphans. Just, just that the issue of this, of providing for those in need, is just as important as, as the issue of, of fighting against abortion, as, as some have taken the task of, of fighting against oppression and racism. This is just as important as all those. It's all important to God. And God has the capability. He, he cares for each and every one of those things. So should we. You see, that's why he calls them to remarry. In verse 14, so I would have younger widows remarry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. We point them to godliness, right? We, we don't just look at what people are struggling with and say, 
You'll get through it and give them pat on the back. You give them a way out. You try to provide for them so that they're no longer continue, so they don't continue to struggle. So this is why he allows younger widows to be married, right? So that they can reflect, right? So they, they can do those things that we see in verse 10. So that they can bear children, so that they can manage their household. So that they, they, they learn to, to have a, a humble heart servant. That they learn hospitality. This is why Paul is calling widows, younger widows to remarry. It's to point them so that they, they can so that they're restored in their faith, so that they are that their relationship with God is restored through this. That now they're given the opportunity to, to, to bear children, to raise them according to God's standard. And therefore, there's no occasion for slander, or or like he says in verse 7, that they are above reproach. We point people to godliness. We give them the tools that they need to live a life that's honoring God so that they are above reproach, so that they don't become susceptible to to the ways of of the enemy. We are called to live in godliness by being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ while stewarding all that God has given us. That everything that you have is a gift from God. And that you are to use that to, to, to just share with the faithful family of the faith. That, that God has given you those things so that you can help others who are in need. That all you have is a blessing for God so that you can now be a blessing to people. <coughs> we do our best work in reflecting Jesus Christ when we are caring for those in need. When we come along and we feed them and we share God's love with them and we share the truth of what's in the gospel with them. That's how you care for people. You don't just leave them where they're at. You just don't forget them. But, but, but you share the gospel with them. You give them food. You give them water. You meet their needs and you point them towards Christ. And in doing so, we, we honor God. We lift God. And that's when we are, are, are being disciples of Christ. Is when we're being the hands and feet of Christ here. We should lead people to godliness. We should be seeking, first and foremost, to honor those who are with us in this body. Honor our family, honor widows. Be the hands and feet of Christ on earth. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. Oftentimes, as we go through life, and it's difficult. Sometimes kids, toddlers can be difficult, Father God. Sometimes things that just come up that, that, we, that we haven't planned for, that, were, that wasn't in the budget, and it makes life that much more difficult, Father God. But that we still need to realize that, that all we have is a blessing, is a blessing from you. That we still have abundance, Lord. And in your word, you call us as the church body to meet the needs, to support widows, to give food to the hungry, to give water to the thirsty. Give us the strength, Father God, that, that when life gets difficult, we still see the blessings that we have. that we still care for others even though life may be hard. Even though we may not have 
the amount of sleep that we need. Even though things aren't going the way we plan, we can still, still be a blessing to others. Lord, as we go about this week, give us opportunities to be your hands and feet in our workspace, with our friends, with our family, Lord. May we be a reflection of your word. May we be a reflection of what it means to live out the gospel this week. Keep us safe today on this Lord's Day. May we honor you with our time. May we honor you with our words and our thoughts. Keep us safe. Keep us in your will. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.